book of Daniel. We are no longer in a big, huge book that's over 50 chapters long. That's where we've been for the last year and a half. And uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those were massive books. It's a lot different starting now because if you miss a week, you're missing a lot. Uh, we're still not going to be here in the book of Daniel in six months. At least I hope not, you know. Uh, like we were with the Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah. Um, these are going to be very, very quick books, starting with Daniel and going into uh, the minor prophets. So um, just if you haven't been to the first introduction, you can watch that. That was three or two weeks ago. And then last week we had a, uh, a Christmas uh, theme. And then now we'll be back in the, uh, the book of Daniel until we uh, finish it. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we pick up where we left off uh, two weeks ago. I'm going to read chapter uh, 2, verse 30, and then we'll start in verse 1. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 30, And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your Heart. And so, Father, as we approach this uh, majestic text, uh, this, this majestic book, this book that um, many people have heard, whether it's in Sunday school or, or um, uh, just in church or, or maybe just in a lesson somewhere, and a lot of times we can view them as just, you know, Sunday school stories. Uh, but the truth is that, that your word is powerful, and the experiences the, these men uh, go through, Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, the, the, these men of God that, that have been granted wisdom in a foreign uh, land, in a, in a country that is not their own, and yet you're going to use them to impact this country in the highest of levels. You'll use them for your glory in the highest of places. And so whatever our sphere of influence may be, whether it's at our, our work or in our family or among our friends or wherever it may be, Lord, I ask that you would help us to have the same attitude that Daniel had. It's not because we're wiser than anyone else. It's just because God wants us to know these things. And God wants other people to know these things. And so, Lord, we do, just as the book of James says, all we have to do is ask for wisdom and you'll freely grant it to us. We ask for wisdom tonight as we study this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys remember from two weeks ago when we were introducing uh, the book of, of Daniel, we ran into these four guys. They all had Hebrew names. Uh, Daniel, uh, who's going to be uh, the one that writes this book and whom we'll see the most of in this uh, book. But he had three friends named Hananiah, Azariah, and uh, Misael, better known as, and you guys know it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We'll learn more about them in the next chapter. Uh, but the privilege is, as we get to learn about these young men that are being influenced by literally the world power of uh, the day, they are in a college, a university setting. Not only do they have to learn uh, the Babylonian language in three years, but they also have to learn the 
the literature, the history, the culture of the Babylonian Empire. And then if they passed, they would go into the governmental uh, system. You see, the Babylonians, they learned how to take the best of all the cultures that they uh, destroyed and integrate them into their own culture. They would take the smartest, uh, the handsomest, uh, the people that were the strongest in their culture and integrate them into uh, their own. In fact, in chapter 1, we learn about Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah, Misael. They were strong. They were handsome, and they were able to learn. And these were the best of the Hebrews. In chapter 2, verse 1, they've already graduated. And one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. What happens when your boss can't sleep? <clears throat> what happens when the king uh, can't sleep? Oh, yeah. W what happens when the person in authority is short on sleep? He is also short on, yeah, patience. His attitude suffers drastically, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to give this ultimatum to all these people that have graduated from the university that includes Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael. Look what it says there in verse 2. He called in his magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed this is interesting, by the way. I don't know if, you know, you're married or not, but this is very similar to being married. Trying to read another person's thoughts, right? But, but then, not just a person that you're close to a spouse, but the king's thoughts. The king's dream. And by the way, uh, he hasn't even asked for the interpretation yet. He's just asking, can you tell me what I dreamed last night? Wow. And, and these, by the way, are people that are very, very good at faking it. Look at the titles of these guys. What, what kind of people are they? They're magicians. They are enchanters. They're sorcerers, or in the New King James Version, it says they're soothsayers. These are people that are skilled in being able to read the body language of another person and then telling them what they think. The last category here is interesting. Uh, what's the last word there? It says astrologers. Now, this is different than, you know, uh, more commonly used term astronomer, right? And not only did astrologers look at the stars, but they interpreted the stars for their fortune telling. Uh, very similar to what goes on today in, you know, a lot of, you know, you'll see them on the side of the road, the psychic or uh, the new age movement, your birth sign or your astrology sign, whatever 
the terminology is. That's very different, though, than an astronomer. Astro an astronomer is someone who just studies the stars to find out how they move, okay? It's very scientific. Astrologers take it to the point of using it in order to um, uh, make sure that they get what they want from the interpretation of the stars. So all four of these categories of people were people that were very good at reading people's thoughts and then being able to interpret their body language. It's the person that would take your hand and be able to, you know, tell you what your future is. Or, or the person that could read your uh, thoughts. And so these people have been called by the king. All you got to do is tell me my dream from last night. And as they stood before the king, verse 3, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me. I must know what it means. Verse 4, and then the astrologers, the last of the category there, answered the king in Aramaic. Long live the king, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. <clears throat> yeah, they, 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 they're very good at being able to interpret, but not very good at being able to tell the truth. You see, the king had spent money on these people. He had spent good money on all these people that not only had they captured, integrated into their university, he had fed them from his own table. Remember in chapter 1? He, he had clothed them and fed them and made sure that not only did they have a, a good understanding of the culture, the language, the history of the Babylonians, but he'd given them food from his own table. And so, of course, the standards are very, very high, right? By the way, starting here, it tells us exactly what language it's in. Starting here in verse 4, the rest of the book, all the way up to the end of chapter 7, is going to be in a different language than the rest of the Old Testament. You see, in the Babylonian culture, not only for the Hebrews, but everybody that was there, everybody speaks Aramaic. And so, starting here in chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 4, going all the way to the end of chapter 7, verse 28, is all going to be behind the scenes, not in our language, Aramaic. And so because of that, there's a different flavor uh, than the normal Hebrew text that we see in the rest of the Old Testament. Because Daniel's going to be writing this book in the language that he learned in a foreign country. He's going to be writing it in the language that he is speaking to the king with. He, he's going to be writing this rest of the book in the language that he learned in a foreign country that he himself speaks now fluently Aramaic. In fact, this is what all of the people are speaking to the king with. Long live the king. Tell us the dream. And we will tell you what it means. By the way, Daniel isn't here yet. Hananiah, Azariah, Misael, they're not there yet. These are the ones that have, you know, been in service in the government facilities for a while now. These are the ones that have 
close ears to the king. These are the ones that um, are, you know, the, the close counselors of the king, if you will. Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah, they're, they're not there yet, okay? But they're going to be lumped in later on. Verse 5, but the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. The New Living Translation doesn't have the, the higher language of like the King James or the New King James. But it puts it into a language where uh, as if we were speaking one to another. I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn <clears throat> limb from limb. Your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Not only will you die, but your families as well. Your property and all that you own will be torn apart. How would you like to have a boss like that? Your boss just started looking good. Imagine working for the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Where the standard, not only of graduating from the university, but also doing what he asked you to, is very, very, very hard. The cost of failure is your life. Not, not just a, you know, a death, but as it says here, torn limb from limb. These are the people that are used to being able to fib their way or, or lie their way out of certain tasks. And now they're having to deal with the truth, the real reality of the situation. Verse 6, but if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. You guys remember the other person who could interpret dreams in the Bible? Joseph, yeah. You know, we remember him. He was the coat of many colors. His brothers sold him into slavery. You know, he was picked up, taken to, you know, first one guy's house, Potiphar's house. And then, you know, his wife, you know, tried to seduce him. He stood for what was right. He got put into prison. You know, he's here in a prison cell and these two guys just happened to be there dreaming in the prison cell, right? They told him the dream, right? They, Joseph knew the dream. He was able to interpret the dreams better than any of us ever could. But, but at least he knew the dreams, right? They were able to remember the dreams. They were able to tell Joseph the dreams. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Misael, they're not even going to know the dream. Not, not only does King Nebuchadnezzar not know the dream... But he doesn't know the interpretation of the dream as well. So the standard is very, very high. But what are the rewards? What if they're able to tell the dream and its interpretation? This is going to be very important later on, by the way. Because Nebuchadnezzar is going to forget to reward Daniel. What, what are the rewards for getting this? Not, not only are they going to have wonderful gifts and honors, but they're going to be elevated to a very, very high place within the governmental council. Uh, verse 
uh, 7 there, they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you are doing. You know, this, this is the person that you see on TV that's able to, you know, with the microphone in their ear or however they do it. I don't know how they always, you know, are able to do it. But they, they somehow are able to interpret things from the audience. And a lot of this, of course, is, you know, just being able to read body language or, you know, in many cases it's a sham. In some cases, we'll see later on, it's even demonic. But what are they doing? And the king knows this. You're stalling. You're stalling. That's all you're doing. You're just stalling to, to see if you can read something out of me. Maybe get a hint of what I dreamed about last night. You're just stalling. We always do that too, right? You know, yeah, we're good at that. I'm good at that. You know. all, all you have to do is, is stall. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. Oh, the standard for working for King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream. No human person can do this. None of the magicians, none of the conjurers, uh, none of the people that are in your upper echelon, the sorcerers, the astrologers, no one can do this on the entire planet. Why? And of course, all of you know this. No king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among uh, the people. They were half right, by the way. They knew human understanding. On the human plane, can we truly understand another person's dreams and thoughts? No one can. Who's the only one that can interpret dreams? But, but I know you guys already read this. You've already, you know, probably studied this many, many times. You've probably heard Sunday school story or even taught about this, I'm sure. You know, those of you that, you know, have taught in Sunday school or do teach in Sunday school, I, I'm sure you, you've taught about this many, many uh, times. But do you understand what these um, uh, people from other cultures that have been integrated into the Babylonian society, not only them, but also King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what they're going to see? The, the buildup that Daniel is doing here, uh, presenting the stakes of what he has to go through to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. You have to interpret the dream and tell me the dream and you will live. Otherwise, you'll be torn limb from limb. It's impossible. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this. And so he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Every single one. Wow. Again, would you want a boss like that? 
Do you understand what is happening here? Again, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael haven't even been mentioned yet. Okay? These are just the you know, guys that have been serving for a while now. And because of their failure to tell the dream and its interpretation, the consequences for every single one of the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's court is the same, even if they weren't there. Every one of them is going to die. You're all going to die. Is that a good motivation, by the way? <laughs> Can you imagine this? Because this is what's going to happen because the guy who's the executioner is coming to Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael and saying, I'm going to have to kill you now. I'm going to have to tear you limb from limb, however they did that. I don't know. Look what happened there. Because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends, and when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and uh, discretion. He asked Arioch, and by, by the way, this word Arioch, it's uh, not only just, a, um, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, interpreted as a personal name, but it's more likely a title. Uh, he was the captain of the guards who were over the ones that were protecting the king. His name means lion-hearted. He was ferocious. Can you imagine this guy coming to your room and telling you, I'm sorry to inform you that I have to kill you now. And, and Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, they, they get this, you know, um, issue from the king, verse 15. Why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. If Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah and Misael could say, that's totally unfair, they had all rights to do so. You see, normally when we say, oh, that's not fair, normally we deserve it, right? Maybe when you were younger as a kid, you know, you got a spanking or a discipline that you didn't think you deserved. Or, or maybe, you know, at your work or whatever, something happened. That, that, that's not fair. Can you imagine this unfairness? Your life is on the line. The captain of the king guard is there to take your life. That's not what? That's not fair. Daniel went and once to see the king, requested more time to tell the king what the dream uh, meant. I love this part. By the way, this is the standard of every single decision that we should be making. Verse 17, then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. There are several things that you can take away from this. Not only is Daniel praying, but he asked three other people to pray with him. 
Do you have at least three people, three friends that you can ask to pray with you? Do you have people in your life that you can ask to pray not only with you, but maybe even for you? And by the way, this is 900 miles from their homeland. They're, they're literally, their capital city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed. We saw that when we were in the book of Jeremiah. We saw that when we were in the book of, of Ezekiel. The temple has been destroyed as well. Every single part of their heritage has been destroyed in the Israelite uh, homeland. And they are there in the upper echelons of uh, the Babylonian society. These are the only four that we know of by name. Ezekiel is, you know, about 200 miles on the river Kibar. He's with all the, you know, the rejects, the ones that were the blue-collar workers, the ones that weren't handsome, the ones that weren't smart, the ones that weren't strong, the, the ones that were put off to the side that couldn't make it in the university system. And, and can you imagine this, these four friends, their life is literally on the line Praying to God. How do you think you would pray? How, how do you think you would address God? Oh, yeah. This isn't just some, you know, um, you know firing or, or, or some rejection or, or, or some sort of, you know, a mild discipline slap on the wrist. No, in the morning, you're going to be torn limb from limb. You're going to die. They're very specific in their requests, of course. It says there at the end of verse 18, so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That's what they're asking God. Don't or give us the interpretation of the dream as well as the dream so that we will not be executed. A very high motivation, by the way. Verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Who's the one that tells Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and the interpretation of the dream? God. God did. By the way, this isn't the only time Daniel's going to be able to do this. Daniel's going to have to work in a society where everyone literally um, despises God. That, that this culture is, has an integration of a whole bunch of different idols, as we'll see in the, the next uh, chapter. Uh, this society is full of, of not only everything that is anti-God, but they're also an enemy of the Hebrew culture as well. They've tried to erase everything that has been a part of Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, a part of their culture, their religion, who they are. And they stand for what is right. They stand for what is true. God gives them not only the interpretation, but reveals to them the dream as well. The very first thing Daniel does, very first thing Daniel does, he doesn't go bragging. He, he could have. Guess what? I found out the answer. Ha, ha, ha. 
rubbing it in the nose of all those wise, supposed wise men, those, you know, magicians, sorcerers, astrologers. I got the answer and you did it. Ha ha ha. The attitude that Daniel has is so pure. Because not only could he have bragged about it, but he could have had them all killed and his friends and him left alive. He, he could have um, taken this to very, very selfish means. Eliminate the whole competition. But the very first thing he does is praise God. When God gives you the answer to your prayer, what's the first thing you do? By, by the way, two weeks ago, if you were here, you got a notebook. If you're new tonight, you get a notebook, okay? Uh, Aaron, can you hand out those? There's some notebooks right there. If Now, if you were here two weeks ago and forgot to bring your notebook, you're not getting another notebook. I can't afford them, okay? But, but if you weren't here two weeks ago, and, and there's more in the... Aaron, there's more uh, outside too, okay? If, if there's not, hopefully there'll be enough for everybody. Um, and, and, oh, right, right, right up. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Um, and, and, you know, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why you're getting a notebook uh, is because this is what Daniel does. He writes down his prayers. He writes down the dreams. He writes down what uh, the Lord is telling him. The, the keys are in the, the jacket, okay? And this is what he says. By the way, again, writing it down in the language that he had learned in Babylon. Praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings, sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. What's the first thing Daniel does? What, what's the first thing Daniel does? He praises God for who he is. He, he praises God for just being God. Wow. Can you imagine that? Just, just to praise God for who he is. Just to praise God who is God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Just to praise God for being God. God, I praise you for who you are who you are in infinity, past, present, and future. Who you've always been, being the one that was the protector of Israel, and now continuing to protect the remnant in a foreign country. You've always been God, you are God, and you always will be God. Forever and ever and ever. What else in verse 21? He controls the course of world events. Where are the Israelites right now, by the way? They're in captivity. Who was the one that made them go there? 
This was all the time in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Every single time. It was always God who controlled the events. It was God who made Nebuchadnezzar come. It was God who made the walls fall down. It was God who literally destroyed the temple. It was God who made them go captive into a foreign country. Who's the one that controls the world events that even them themselves as the Israelites are in a foreign country? And you're praising God for that? Do we have the faith of Daniel? Do we have the faith of Hananiah? Do we have the faith of Misael or Azariah? He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. By the way, this is, you know, the, the, the rubbing in of the nose to the astrologers. But doing it in a, you know, uh, a religious way. Uh, he's not going to do this later on. But even to God himself, what is he saying? Who is the one that gives wisdom? Only God. And by the way, these are university graduates that have learned another language in less than three years. And all the literature and history and culture attached with that. These are smart people, very, very smart. But like many people that graduate from college and university, a lot of times they're not wise. Because as we learned two weeks ago, what is wisdom? It's the application of the knowledge. It's the application of the smarts. It's the application of uh, the learning, verse 22. This is exactly what Daniel is doing. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in the darkness. Though he is surrounded uh, by light, he, he, he knows the mind of the darkest king on the planet. The one who literally destroyed the Jewish culture. And he knows his dreams. In fact, it's going to be God that we'll learn about that actually put them into his own brain. Verse 23, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Who gets the praise? It's so easy when you get the answer to something to brag, to be proud. But what does Daniel do in his humility? He acknowledges the one that gave him the answer. He's going to acknowledge it again as we read at the very beginning, going all the way to verse 30. He's going to acknowledge even before the king that God was the one that gave him the answer in the very first place. Verse 24, then Daniel went in to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise man of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his uh, dream. By the way, he could have skipped that first part. Just take me to the king. But, but what is he doing? And by the way, the, these wise men, these... These astrologers, these magicians, they're going to be the ones that are going to be in the thorn aside of Daniel later on in the, in the book. These are going to be the ones that were going to want to kill him, by the way. 
because of his praying. These are the ones that are going to be his competition. And he could have had every right to be able to say, oh, you know, just kill them all and I'll just go. But what does he do? The very first thing he says, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Ju Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his uh, dream. But by the way, what does Ariok say? Who does Ariok give the credit to? What's the very first word out of his mouth? That's how you know. That's how you know. The very first word out of his mouth is, I found the guy. I'm the one that found him. The, the culture of the day was all about me, 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 me. And of course, it you know, started at the top and worked its way down. The difference is Daniel isn't going to take the credit. Ariok does. I found the one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as uh, Belteshazzar. Remember, we, we learned about that in chapter 1. And again, normally Daniel is not going to be used by his uh, Babylonian name. Now, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the whole next chapter, their names are going to be translated in the Babylonian language, the more common term Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but Daniel, because he's the writer of this book, is, is keeping his personal name, his uh, Hebrew name, his name that glorifies God rather than his name that glorifies the king or, you know, the Babylonian deity, Bel. Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Again, the standard is super high. Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. By the way, there's an extra word that's added here, an extra title that's added here. Fortune tellers. Uh, in the New King James Version, it's the diviners. They're gazers, okay? Uh, this word is only found in the book of Daniel. In fact, a lot of these titles are only found in uh, the book of Daniel. These were people that were able to ascertain or decree the fate of others. In some translations, it's translated as Chaldeans. The, these were people that were skilled in being able to not only... Uh, tell the future, but were able literally to fib their way out of problems. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets. I, I love how God works. What, is, what does Daniel do? He's a witness in the darkest country on the planet, the world power of the day. And he's a witness in that culture. Wow. I don't know what your family is like. I don't know what your, you know, work environment is like. I have no idea. But can you be a witness in the darkest of places? By giving God the credit. Because who is the one that gave 
Daniel the answers. He says it right there. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. By the way, who was the one that gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream in the first place? So if God gave him the dream in the first place, who's the only one that can reveal the dream? Duh. Right? I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. Not only is this a dream, but this is a dream about the future. And thank God, by the way, that we're going to get the interpretation of the dream too. We don't have to guess. Okay, We don't have to guess about this. The, the interpretation is going to be given in this chapter. It's going to be four kingdoms, one right after another. It's going to tell us those. It's going to start with the upper part and then going to the middle and then going down to the next middle and then going down uh, to the feet. And again, I'm sure you've probably you know, read commentaries about this. You probably have commentaries in your Bible right now at the bottom of the page. You could be looking them up. But the best interpretation for the Bible is the Bible. Thank God. Thank God that we have the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom to be able to read and interpret the Scriptures. Verse 30. The verse that we started out with, by the way, at the very beginning. The theme of this chapter this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and it is not because I am wiser than anyone else. What is Daniel saying? I'm not wise. Those, those guys that were here at the very beginning, the astrologers, that, that, I'm not wiser than them. I'm not smarter than them. But I know one, one who is. I know the God of the universe who is able to give the answers. I, I, I know the one who is able to, you know, tell me the dream and its interpretation. But because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Does God want the heart of the king? And by the way, just like we learned two weeks ago, Daniel is going to be able to influence uh, three different kings from two different kingdoms. Two world powers. He, he's going to be able to influence uh, the king of the Babylonians and his grandson and uh, the king of the Persians as well, or the Medes and the Persians. He, he's going to have a, a, uh, an influence on major world powers. And God's going to get the glory uh, for it. Verse 31. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening uh, sight. This massive, huge statue that is brilliant. You saw that in your dreams. 
By the way, this is not only majestic, but it is scary as well. This is a, a, a dream that God gives to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel is telling him what he saw behind his eyelids. Something that, you know, many of us can't even do. I forget my dreams all the time, right? That's why you got a notebook, by the way. Right? We're going to see that later on in chapter 7. Daniel writes down his dreams. You, you can go back to two weeks ago. We actually read that part of the scriptures. Verse 32, the head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. Can you imagine this massive statue? What is at the top? What's right underneath the gold? Silver. What's right underneath that? Uh, bronze. What's right underneath that? These legs of iron and then these feet that are a combination of iron and clay. And you read this and say, I have no clue what it means. Thank God that the interpretation is in the next couple of verses. But can you imagine this? The, the value gets less and less as you go down the statue. The head is made of gold, the most valuable of these substances. Okay? And then right underneath that, silver, the next most valuable of these elements or these uh, materials. The belly and the thighs, they are made out of bronze. By the way, the first two are elements. The first two are pure. The first two are single elements, okay? You guys remember the periodic table, right? Uh, gold by itself is pure. Gold by itself, very, very valuable. It is something that you would, you know, you know, give something special to someone, right? And same thing with the silver, right? These are elements. These are pure. They are not mixed with anything. What's the next element? Or excuse me, it's not an element. It's a composite. What is the next uh, substance? Which is a mixture, right? You guys know that, right? It's a mixture of, of copper and, you know, iron mixed together, right? It's meant to make it harder or more um, non-destructive, right? Yes. Thank you. Copper and tin. See, I'm so glad you're here, Lewis. Uh, we'll learn about the iron later on, right? The, the, the understanding is that this bronze is a mixture, right? As will the rest of it be. There'll be a, a mixture of elements. Can you imagine this? Gold, silver, bronze. What's the next one? Iron. Uh, but by the way, this is an age where not only um, uh, you know agricultural implements are made out of this, weapons are made out of this as well. The the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. The, the these materials that were used for work. 
these materials that were used for uh, war and agriculture as well. And then the last one, what does it say there? Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. The value goes down as you go down the statue. Verse 34, and as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of clay or iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And when the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered uh, the whole earth. Wow, can you imagine this? This statue that is brilliant, that is made of all these valuable items, is hit by this small rock. The statue is obliterated, scattered to the wind. And what happens to that little rock? Covers the whole earth. This is what you saw in your dream. Verse 36, that was the dream. Now we will tell you or tell the king what it means. B by the way, you know, can you imagine this? Daniel first giving glory to God and then telling Nebuchadnezzar the dream. What, what could he do next? What could he do next? You could just say whatever he wants now, right? And by the way, that's what, you know, astrology is all about. That, that's what, you know, fortune telling is all about. That's what the New Age movement is all about. That's what psychics, it's all about, right? It's being able to somehow change what, you know, to make it sound good. He could have made it all about the king, by the way. He could have buttered him up really, really good. And by the way, he could have made it so that, you know, even Nebuchadnezzar was that little rock that encompassed the entire earth. He could have made it so that he interpreted this dream in order to make his boss look really, really good in himself in the process. But what does Daniel do instead? He speaks the truth. Now we will tell the king what it means. Verse 37, your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. Wow. Can you imagine yourself in this situation having to tell the interpretation of this dream, knowing what will happen to the statue, including the gold head? You see, the gold head is who? It tells us right there, you don't have to interpret anything. The Bible tells you. Who is the gold head? Yeah, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the gold head. Right? You're the gold head. 
But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. Now, I don't know what you did in your history class in 7th and 8th grade. If you fell asleep or didn't take notes or whatever. But there's, you know, you look at history and even in the Bible, we're going to see this after uh, chapter 4, chapters 5 and 6. We're going to see the next kingdom. The next kingdom is going to walk right into Babylon and take over. It's going to be the Medes and the Persians or the Persian Empire. The Babylonian Empire is first. They're the head of gold. And then this next kingdom that comes after, this inferior kingdom, the silver is going to come in. Those are going to be the Persian Empire. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze, and by the way, copper and tin, thank you, Lewis, will rise to rule the world. This is going to be the Greeks. Can you imagine this? Babylon, and then Persia, and then the Greeks after them. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. By the way, even though gold is valuable, even though silver is valuable, even though bronze is valuable or able to use in terms of uh, not only agriculture, but also as weapons, which of those substances is the strongest? You know, well, well, can you imagine this? What happens when, you know, bronze or iron strikes gold? Yeah. It, it, it bends, right? It, it's malleable, right? Same thing with silver. It, it's bendable. That's why they're used in jewelry, right? Even though it's valuable, it is malleable as well or bendable. It, it doesn't have any um, uh, strength of structure, right? Other things have to be put into it to give it a strength of structure, right? That's why your, your ring or your you know, jewelry isn't pure gold. It, it has a certain amount of carrots to it because there's other things added to it to give it the strength that it has. Otherwise, it would just collapse when you push on it. And that, that's what would happen with pure gold, okay? But, but these other elements, the, the bronze that is mixed with these two other elements to make, give it strength, and then also iron as well, what does it say about the fourth kingdom? And by the way, after the Greeks was the Romans. Uh, the ones that are going to rule during the time of, of Jesus Christ. What is this iron going to do? And by the way, these are also ages as well. You've heard of the, the Bronze Age and you've heard of the, the Iron Age as well. It's going to crush everything it strikes. Verse 41, the feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided. This is exactly what happened with the Roman Empire. It collapsed from inside, not from outside. It collapsed just because of its, you know, hugeness. It collapsed because of its governmental system. It collapsed from the inside. 
It, it collapsed literally internally after 400 years of being here on uh, the earth. It collapsed because of its uh, bigness, division within it. As it says here, iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as, and you can see it there. I love this section. This is one of those, you know, sections that you see. What does the very last word of that verse say? What does it say? Yeah, as weak as clay. Even though it has iron in it, what is the weakness of this material? Yeah, the clay. Or, as it says in the King, or New King James Version, it is uh, brittle, right? It falls apart very easily. I'm going to read this in a different uh, translation here, just the last couple of uh, verses. This is actually the, uh, the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. Verse 43 and 44, it says this, And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of man, but they will not cling to one another, even as iron does not combine with clay. You have these two substances, and what happens when you mix them together? Can they ever mix? No. Can this, this clay mix with this iron and have any cohesion? No, of course not. Verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up that will never be destroyed. This is that little rock. By the way, this is you. By the way, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. Highlight this verse. Memorize this verse. Underline this verse. Verse 44. Write it down. This is an amazing verse because not only is Daniel describing this to the gold head, to the king who is all-powerful at this time, the world power of his day. What is he saying? After all these great kingdoms come, there's going to one that rises up. God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up which will never be destroyed. The Babylonians were destroyed. The Persians were destroyed. The Greeks were destroyed. The Romans were destroyed. All kingdoms have been destroyed or fallen apart in some way. By the way, that includes where we live too. Yeah. Are you a part of that kingdom, by the way? We're going to take communion tonight. We're going to get to celebrate not only the privilege that we have to know God, but to be a part of that kingdom where we get to partake with Jesus Christ in heaven in the marriage feast of the Lamb with elements that are going to taste a lot better than what we're going to get tonight, by the way. And I invite the, the guys to come forward. I'm just going to read the rest of this verse. 
And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it, but it will itself stand forever. Next week we'll read the rest of this. But do you understand what that means? What kingdom are you involved in? Are, are you involved in, you know, I mean, thank God that we can pray for our, our, our president. We can pray for the government. We can pray for our governor. We can pray for the mayor. We, we're, we're called to do those things. But what kingdom are you a part of? What, what, what kingdom are you putting all your energy into? Or is it something that's going to fall apart? Like Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, and the Romans. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, we read this most of the time when we have communion. And by the way, we have communion on the first Wednesday of the month as well as the first Sunday of the month. It was wonderful to have communion on uh, New Year's uh, Day. On Wednesday nights, uh, we do it just a, a little bit differently. When, when you receive the elements, just keep them in your hand. We're going to take it corporately. We're going to take it all uh, together. The, the worship uh, band will lead us and, and just hold it in your hand. Just, just meditate upon the power of what you're holding. The privilege of being able to commune with God. To commune with the one who is able to destroy, literally, as we saw in just this little chapter here, all other kingdoms. And whose kingdom will be more powerful. Are you a part of that kingdom? Because if you're not, this means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You don't have to be a member of this church. You, you don't have to come a certain number of times or whatever, taking a class or whatever it is. You just have to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You just have to know him personally. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? So as the men uh, hand out the elements, just hold them in your hand. We'll be taking them uh, together. Thank you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can my king would die for me amazing love i know it's true and it 
my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you you are my king you are my king you are my king Jesus you Jesus, you are my King. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, how It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread, blessed it, then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my uh, body. So as you take it, remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. He took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine that? To be able to share the cup with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. This is just, 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 just a taste. This is just a, a prelude. This is just a, a small sample. This is the looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And a reminder of that. So as you take it, remember, look forward to 
what we get to do with Jesus Christ. And of course, as all of you know, that come on Wednesday nights, that's not where it ends. Because there's a verse after that. What, what does the verse say? And they sang a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. After they ate the supper, they, they sing a hymn. Can you imagine these 13 men singing and going up the Mount of Olives? That's our tradition, what we do on Wednesday nights. I love this hymn. I love this hymn. Love this hymn. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know the while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hence depart. Please stand up and sing this, this beautiful hymn with me. You don't know it, you, you will by the second or the third verse. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know the well in heaven he stands. No tongue can bid me hence depart. No tongue can bid me hence depart. Think of the words. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. Who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. To look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. And so, Father, tonight, as we go our separate ways, help us not to leave this room the same way we entered in. Help us to have our lives changed, to, to see the examples from men who were men and had, you know, failings the same as us, 
but who knew where their strength came from, who, who knew where their wisdom came from, who, who knew where the answers were, to realize that we're part of a kingdom uh, that is greater than any other kingdom. Greater than all kingdoms that have ever existed and all kingdoms that are now and all the kingdoms that may be in the future. You are greater than the, the Babylonians and the Persians and the, the Greeks and the Romans and even, yes, the United States of America. Thank God. Thank God that you are greater and we have the privilege of being a part of that kingdom as we celebrated tonight. Help us to be grateful for being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to be grateful for knowing you personally. Help us to be grateful and humble as Daniel was to realize that it is from you that all things come from. It is you where wisdom originates. It is from uh, you where we get our strength, Lord. So, Lord, I ask that you bless these, my friends and my family tonight. I ask that you use us for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name we pray.